0: Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. The following is the Spirit World Center podcast. If you have any questions about the spirits or training, you can visit our website at spiritworldcenter.com. And now, please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. Today, I'm joined by Mariana Luna. She is a Kirandera. Reiki Master, and she performs Shamanic Reiki, Intuitive Healing, and Olympias. Thank you so much for being here, Mariana.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: And today we'll be talking about Mariana's spiritual experiences and her progress through becoming involved within shamanism and within Reiki and how that has affected her life. And we'll be also talking about some really amazing paranormal experiences that she's had through um, through house clearings and such. So we're we're running a wide gamut today. So this could be great. Uh, so Mariana, um, what can you tell us about your spiritual practice, and also what can you tell us about how you help people?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Thanks. So. I work as a curandera, I am shamanic practitioner and Reiki master here in Berlin, Germany. And I combine ancient and contemporary healing methods and wisdom to support the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual being of specifically urban dwellers, especially here in Berlin, but I support people all over the world. I also offer distance sessions um, with the work I do. And basically my unique style uh, and approach blends um, Usui Reiki, energy healing, uh, with traditional Mexican shamanic practices known as curanderismo. Um, and I also uh, sometimes add in modern coaching um, to create powerful and individually tailored energy healing rituals. So in my sessions, we usually go pretty deep working through any blockages and balances, stuck or negative energy or thought patterns, like whatever's there, whatever's holding you back at this moment. And I support you in releasing those blockages and also tapping into your inner and outer wisdom while rebalancing your energy system in the process. And we do that through a variety of methods. Um, it, it usually will include the traditional Reiki healing, but we might do a limpia, um, which is like a energetic cleansing. It might be like an herbal sweep, or a fire ritual, or something with water. It really depends on each person and what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what they're, you know, trying to release or change. Um, and the rituals I offer are, you know, pretty intimate. Sacred and special undertakings um, that's best experienced and not explained because they're really, as I said, unique. Um, yeah, and they can be done in person here with me in Berlin in my studio or from anywhere.
0: Sounds absolutely fantastic. And the clients that you have come to you, what are they going through? at that time in their life? And also, what are they looking for? What kind of healing are they looking for?
1: I would say the majority of my clients are going through some sort of transition point of their lives. That's the biggest uh, recurring theme I see. You know, they are usually stressed out. They're usually feeling somehow stuck, although I don't like to use the word stuck with people, but that's how they describe their experience to me. Um, they're realizing that something in their life is off or that they're tired of carrying weight of their past, you know, or some situation or some relationship is still kind of stuck with them. So it's it tends to be people in, in this, um, you know, experiencing these things. Um, the other thing too that I've noticed, especially here in Berlin, is um, people who are feeling very ungrounded. And I'm finding this um, over and over and over again is um, folks who are in transition, but feeling very ungrounded during the transition and maybe have a lot of root chakra work to to hand, to to work through um, and to support. And so we usually start with a lot of grounding rituals and a lot of grounding homework as well. But this seems to be just from a purely observational perspective, what most people are experiencing when they come to me. And, you know, they are seeking a release. They're seeking something to help them feel better, something to help them come back into balance, um, to get support while they are working on their stuff. And then the other interesting thing that I've noticed is that most of my clients are in traditional therapy, like psychotherapy, and that they find it useful. But they all tell me, right. vast majority tell me that they feel as though they've hit a wall with traditional talk therapy, that they're tired of dealing with their problems only with their minds and with the mind of their therapist. They're like, you know, I hear this over and over again, you know, they say, I just don't wanna solve mind with mind anymore. Like it's, I need to do something else. And this is where I come in. And I think a lot of people have reached this point in therapy and maybe they'll continue to go to traditional therapy, but they feel the need to explore something different and to, you know, use a different healing modality to help release, you know, the things that they're carrying that traditional talk therapy just doesn't do.
0: Right. And so why do you think that people feel so grounded in a place like Berlin.
1: Oh, you mean ungrounded? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly it's so Berlin in particular is a an amazing city. It has an it really crazy energy. There's so much going on all the time. And I think this exact reason, you know, for this reason, a lot of people just get swept up in either the the party scene or you know, all of these external experiences that we can have. And I I don't know. I think it, there's also something energetically strange about Berlin. I think given its history, it's a very energetically dense place. And even though there's a lot of green and a lot of nature all over the place in Berlin, somehow I just sense that people here are very disconnected. And I think it's very easy to become disconnected here, maybe in any city, but here in particular, um, there's just a lot of distraction, you know, internal and external, I would say.
0: And so after a few sessions with someone, do you find that there is a change in how that person is living and seeing their life?
1: Oh, completely, completely. Um, I've had some clients come in now repeatedly. And, you know, the, the the difference from the first session, you know, when they walk up to my studio And I can see, you know, the way they carry themselves, they're slouched, they're, you know, kind of hung, like they seem, their face is pale, they're just not looking good. You can see it in their eyes that they're in pain. And I had, especially, I'm just thinking of one remarkable client who, um, you know, came in for three sessions and already after like the second, the way she just came up to the door already, the second time was just remarkable. I could see such a huge difference. And then by the third time, she was a completely different person. You know, she had released so much of the pain she was carrying. And she told me that that our sessions were extremely helpful. And I could physically literally see the difference. Um, and that was in a span of three months. And it was she wasn't even coming like every week. It was like once a month or something. But she did the homework, you know, she committed to her past and to the things that we talked about, and it made a huge difference.
0: Homework is so incredibly important with this stuff. I mean, you can go in for one cleansing and you feel great afterwards, but if you don't make changes in how you're living, you're just going to get all that energetic gunk and negativity and such back on you, right? So, exactly. so what kind of homework do you have them doing?
1: Well, it really depends, um, but... You know, because most people here are so ungrounded, I, I the first thing I tell them is you need to get out in nature at least one time per week because that's kind of a realistic amount of time for people here. And and then I tell them, you know, you have to do forest bathing, you have to walk barefoot even if it's cold. You know, put your feet in the water, connect with a tree. Like I, it really depends, but that's kind of the first line of defense. The sort of first prescription I give is just nature, time in nature. And I know it's so simple, but a lot of people don't do this. Um, And a lot of people, I have, I've had many clients who are like, you want me to walk barefoot? Like, ew, like, what if if I get dirty? And it's like, that's the point. Like, you need to make this connection to the earth, you know, if you want to feel better. So that's one example. Um, Another is maybe if, if people are wanting to release something, then I might tell them to work with the moon and the different moon phases and working with releasing and manifestation. And I'll explain that to them, how that works. Um, another one is, you know, working with fire, working with candles and doing velaciones. If there's like an intention, it's it's kind of basic um, stall work, you know, from the curanderismo background and I'll explain to them how to do that. And what I like about those things is that um, it empowers them to actually take you know their power back and make changes in their lives. But what I tell them as well, and what I find really important to say, is like, it's like it's not that I don't want you to come to me, but at some point, like you need to, you know, get on your way. You know, you need to. Um, it's like, yeah, not not to take it personally, but like it's not that I don't want to see you. Just um... <laughs> it's so important that that people remember that they have power in this as well, and I'm here as a support, but. I don't want people to get like, um, you know, reliant on me, which is why homework is so important.
0: I really think that is the most ethical way to do it as well, because absolutely. If someone is in a bad situation in life, you can keep doing cleanses on them and you can keep supporting them that way, but they will have to keep coming to you on a weekly or monthly basis And it's just creating this dependence on you, as opposed to, I've always had the philosophy, teach, or if you give a person a fish, you feed them for one day. If you teach them to fish, you fed them for life, right? And I mean, if you can cause that change in someone where they know how to do the homework, and then they start taking agency and control over their life, that just is a very beautiful thing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's why I also teach Reiki. I now teach um, levels one through four. And a lot of my clients have decided to learn Reiki and to, you know, bring in this incredible skill and self care tool into their lives. Because, you know, I tell them, you know, if you do more Reiki on yourself and others, like it, it increases your connection you know, to source it, like it gives you just another incredible tool in your arsenal, like in your toolkit, you know, to help you be human and like navigate this life. And so that's why I love teaching people Reiki. I love teaching people how to do self-cleansing rituals and this sort of thing, because ultimately we have to become empowered in this sense. Otherwise we're never going to heal.
0: I love it. So, Mariana, what led you to this practice and this life that you have now? So,
1: three years ago, I had a mental breakdown, um, a very acute burnout and mental health crisis, if you will. I had been carrying these things for years unexamined, um, various traumas and difficulties from my upbringing and... I never had the time, I guess, to examine my life and to look back and even think about healing. I was just always in such a hustle culture, go, 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 get my university degree, get a job, do the nine to five, et cetera, et cetera. And at some point, um, it was just too much. My body said no more and my mind also said no more and all of that manifested as an acute burnout and mental health crisis. And, um, I was, I'll just say it. I was very suicidal for a very long time. And there came one specific day where I was in so much pain. I didn't know what to do anymore. I just remember calling in sick, um, to my work, to my job at that point. And I just knew like, I just couldn't live this way. And I thought, I'm just going to end it. I'm done. This is it. I'm sick of this. And I was already thinking of how I was going to do it. I was preparing it. And then I realized, and this is going to sound probably hilarious and super vain, but that day I had a waxing appointment with a very dear friend of mine. And the only reason I left the house that day and didn't, you know, go through with my plan was because I didn't want to let her down. And she's someone who I will forever be indebted to, you know, for helping me on this, because I went to her and I basically broke down in her, in her. Studio, told her everything I was going through. And she just looks at me and says, I understand you should go to this chakra healer. And I look at her and I thought, what in the world is a chakra? I had no idea about anything. But I was so at my wit's end that I said, okay, I'll try it. Whatever, let's just see. And so she gives me this um, energy healer's WhatsApp. I text him. He tells me, come over, you know, in two days. And um, I went to this session and it was two hours. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, And suddenly he goes through each of my chakras, is rebalancing them. I'm having wild experiences, you know, from like complete euphoria, feeling like on drugs to like complete, you know, despair, crying my eyes out. But by the end, I felt like so much had been released And I had no idea what had just happened. Like, I just knew what I had felt was true. But beyond that, I thought, oh my gosh, what is energy healing? What is this medicine? And I got super curious. And this, you know, curiosity led me down the path that I'm on now because I decided to learn energy healing for myself. And then I discovered later on that I'm actually... Coming from a lineage of curanderas in Mexico, and I decided to start learning curanderismo or shamanic practices um, in, in from a Mexican tradition, and realized that this is truly my life's calling. So that's how that's kind of the yeah that's the story in a nutshell basically.
0: It's uh, a wonderful thing what this form of spiritual healing can do, and it really awakens one to the importance of the soul of spirituality of these hidden energies that just no one really notices until they're way out of whack and then but then taking those steps to to get it back in order can really have this effect on your life that's amazing i'm so glad that you found your chakra healer when you did
1: me too me too oh i'm so grateful for him
0: so Mariana, you you mentioned something very fascinating there, which is that you are part of a a lineage. Um, what can you tell us about that? Because um, that, I mean, a lot of these sensitivities, of course, do tend to be passed down from uh, through genealogies. But um, yeah, it must have been interesting rediscovering a lineage that you really had no idea about.
1: Yeah, sure. So. I'm Mexican. Both my parents are from Mexico City. I was born in the US and had a very American upbringing, um, but was always connected to my Mexican roots to a large extent. Now, I didn't know about this lineage until pretty recently because of Catholicism, as it turns out. Um, but my great, great grandmother was a curandera in her community in back in Mexico. And um, I, you know, my mom and I only found this out, I think, last year when a cousin of ours, or hers, wrote to her and said, hey, but didn't you know that, you know, abuela was this curandera and that we come from this like lineage. And before her, there was uh, also, you know, her her mother, her grandmother, and that this is what they were doing. Um, but it was more after the after they had to convert to Catholicism and hide this practice that it got lost in the shuffle and it wasn't really passed down. So rediscovering this has been enormous. We've done a lot of investigating into, you know, who she was. There's not a lot of information, unfortunately, um, just kind of getting family stories from elders who are still alive that can remember things that they were told. Um, but yeah, it's it feels incredible to be reclaiming this, um, this uh, part of me that's been passed down, that is like in my blood, so to say, And it's also worth mentioning too that, um, on my dad's side, they're very, um, energetically sensitive or spiritual as well. And they always had to hide this because of the Catholicism. Also, they did not work as, um, curanderos, but they had premonitions. They had a lot of psychic abilities. My dad to this day does, but he's very scared to tap into that. He doesn't want to go there, um, but, from what he told me, his grandmother had this as well. So it's for me, it's really coming from both sides.
0: fantastic. And what can you tell us about that tradition if people are hearing of this for the first time?
1: Sure. So curanderismo is a Latin American shamanic healing practice. It's been around, you know, and um, what's well, indigenous. So it's been around for thousands of years. And it's, basically traditional healing and the practices um, come from all over. I know also from different parts of Latin America, but I specialize in the practices coming from Mexico and it's a form of shamanic healing. Um, and basically what we do, I mean, we use a lot of the shamanic journeying in our work, um, but on the energetic side and what I might do with a client will be rituals using Different plants or fire or water. Um, But I mean, it's a very broad term to say curanderismo. You know, one, my, uh, you know, curanderismo practice is going to be probably very different to someone else's. Um, But just to speak very broadly, it's shamanic healing um, that stems from, you know, Latin America.
0: A question I've Thought of in the past actually is when it comes to um, when you're cleansing with plants, are you importing specific plants from uh, Latin America, or are you um, are you using indigenous plants of, of uh, Germany and the area that you're in?
1: I'm so glad you asked that because so in my shamanic studies, and so I work I work with my shaman teacher in Mexico City, and it's hilarious because you know, she's always talking about, okay, now you need the, you know, chuchupati root, whatever thing. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't have this. And I don't want to be bringing this over. So I've had to completely (laughs) adapt my work to use local plants. And um, last year I started studying herbalism here in Germany, Northern Europe to get acquainted with the plants here and, you know, their spirits as well, because I realized I'm like, this is not sustainable. And I don't want to be bringing Mexican root, like Mexican plants, you know, to Germany necessarily, like I maybe have some dried herbs that I bring to do in some rituals, but like as a whole, I realized that in order to make my practice, like not only sustainable, but also, you know, if I'm working with people here, you know, I think we have to be working with the plants and the spirits of this land. And that's become such an integral part of my practice, actually is working with, um, European plants. So that's been actually a whole theme for me, um, working with local plants and getting to know them and communing with them and having my clients commune with them and making, for example, smudge sticks, you know, out of, uh, plants that I forage here in the forests around Berlin versus bringing in, you know, sage or whatever that's a lot of us do. But, you know, for me, it's important to bring in the, the the local aspect, um,
0: Oh that's incredible. Yeah, I mean it it is grounding you into the local spiritual ecosystem, right? So that that's very interesting. What plants have you found are cleansing, let's say, in that area? So like what what are you using to replace sage?
1: So I like to use a blend of mugwort, yarrow and yellow pansy. Like these three, the yellow pansy, more just because it smells really good when you burn it. But those three together, as like a as a smudge stick, is actually just as effective, if not more, because I think of like bringing in again the local energy, the local spirit of the plants to your home, and it's fantastic. And anyone can do this. Like it, they grow everywhere, <laughs> even in Berlin. Like you can find it in the middle of the city so it's completely accessible and easy to make. So these are that's like my go-to kind of trio right now. Um if I do herbal sweeps on people, like where I create like a bouquet and I s- literally sweep their bodies with it, um I'll usually use rosemary, um willow birch perhaps. If there's locally grown sage, um I'll use that as well. Um but yeah, these are generally the plants that are my go-to go-to plants for for cleansing
0: oh that's fantastic wow it's always good to find your own ways sometimes or to to find ways that that reflect where you are that's that's very interesting absolutely so to change gears a little bit Um, you've had some interesting spiritual and paranormal experiences over the years. And I always like to talk about these because they let people know that they're not alone. And uh, and so your experiences start quite young, actually, right? They start back in California when you were five years old, it sounds like.
1: That's right. That's right. So I remember, I think this was definitely the first spiritual experience I ever had or paranormal or whatever you want to call it. Um, I was about five years old and I remember seeing this very uh, dapper dressed man. He was in like this brown suit with a bowler hat. And I remember him looking very out of place and telling my parents, Hey, there's this man over there. You know, this was at home and um, you know, there was no man, but he was friendly. He didn't seem like, uh, you know, Uh, evil or anything he was just kind of uh, looking at me and this sort of loving gentle way and I just remember seeing him probably about three times as a kid and one of the strangest times actually was when we were in on a family trip to Lake Tahoe and I remember being on the banks of the Truckee River with my family and seeing the same man kind of sitting on these rocks and I thought that's so strange why is there in this guy here is, oh, again, like super dressed up, like on the rocks. And I, again, told my parents and, you know, I said, there's no man over there. Um, but, you know, they were somewhat encouraging, but again, with the Catholic thing, I think they just sort of, yeah, dismissed it a little bit or just said, well, maybe that's, I don't know, an angel or something, but yeah, yeah, you're just a kid. Um, but that was definitely my first experience, you know, from a young age.
0: And when you saw this being, like the first time you saw it, was that in, like it was inside the home?
1: Yeah, it was in our living room.
0: Wow. And you were seeing it like, did it feel like you were seeing it through your third eye or did it feel like you were seeing it physically?
1: I think at that point it, it was confusing. I remember being confused as a kid because it felt physical, but it didn't at the same time. I I don't know how to to describe it. I don't know if I had the context of a third eye as as a child, but I just remember this sort of, you know, seeing it visually and feeling it, but then blinking a little bit later and then it was gone and thinking, what, like, that's really strange.
0: (laughs) And so do you have any suspicions as to what that being was or who it was?
1: So my suspicion now is that it was my guardian angel or like maybe a guardian of mine at the time. Um, I've not been able to make contact with them uh, since, Um, but that's sort of my sense that that this is someone who was there like watching over me, taking care of me. And um, yeah, he kind of looked like my great grandpa that I never met. Uh, my dad was sort of convinced that it was him. I'm not sure if that's true because he looked a little bit different, but in that in that style definitely from like that time that time um in history like in terms of how he was dressed.
0: Well, that is a fantastic experience when you are that age. And did that type of experience continue in your life? Um, as in while you were growing up, did you did you have experiences or, or was it kind of radio silence until you were a little older?
1: It was honestly radio silence until I was older. Um, I, I did have like a very difficult um, late childhood kind of teenagehood in terms of what was going on with my family. And I think I was just under so much stress and even just like kind of physical survival issues that I was not tapped into this whatsoever whatsoever. So it was radio silence for that whole time.
0: It's curious, though, because in our pre interview, you mentioned some things. It definitely seems like your sensitivity was still there. And that came out, of course, even before you started your shamanic work when you visited uh, Bosnia.
1: That's right. So this was one of the first ex- spiritual experiences I had, like since I was a kid. But before my spiritual awakening, so to say, um, I was in, I was traveling through Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, with my partner and we were driving through in a camper, camper van and we decided to visit Mostar, which is this, um, city with the, that with a river in the center that divides the, the city into two sides. And I think there's like the Christian side and the Muslim side, and there's this beautiful old bridge that connects both sides. That's, uh, It's not the original bridge anymore because that bridge was destroyed during the war. And yeah, to be completely honest, I was not very aware of a lot of things, but one of which was the history of Mostar and the whole war in general. Um, I was a little bit ignorant and yeah, so we were walking around Mostar and we were on the Christian side and this side, mind you, is very sanitized, like rebuilt and, there's tourist shops and restaurants and everything's kind of normal. And then you cross the bridge to the other side, which, I, which was the Muslim side. And I did, had no clue about this, by the way. And it's suddenly very empty and abandoned. And everything looks a little bit, you know, just left the same since the war. And not a whole lot going on. And it was a beautiful day. There was beautiful weather. Everything was fine and calm. But after we crossed the bridge and we're on the, on the other side, I got this intense sense that so much was rushing at me or something or something like all kinds of emotions were just coming up inside of me and I got extremely distressed. I got really overwhelmed. I felt as though I could feel the suffering of the space I was in, of the street, of the land. And I started crying uncontrollably. Uncontrollably. And my partner was like, What's wrong? Are you okay? Like, what what happened? We just walked, we're just walking here. And I thought, I don't know. I just told him, I don't know. I don't know. Um, everything feels off. This feels wrong here. I don't know what's happening. I feel overwhelmed. There's something like there's something about this place. I can't be here. And we left shortly thereafter, and I calmed down and we got back to our camper van. And I was still pretty distressed at this point. And I remember. Um, deciding, okay, I need to do research on this because this is not normal. And I looked up, um, you know, Molster and the history of the war. And then I found this BBC documentary from that time period, I think about 1990 or so, 1991. And in this documentary, they showed this exact street that we were walking on. And they were explaining how this side had experienced the heaviest bombing and the heaviest suffering during the war and in that city because they had um, destroyed the bridge, effectively cut off the entire side from food, from water, from medical supplies. People were trapped there and everyone was dying. And it's all like really some of the heaviest casualties in the war. And I had no clue that that had happened on that side. And there was not really any real commemoration about that on that side either. There was a cemetery, but it didn't really explain much. And yeah, it just all came out later that this is the sign that was, um, ex- that experienced the absolute worst of the worst. And I realized afterwards, Oh, that's what I was feeling. That's very much imprinted in the land. And I'm pretty sure that the spirits there were maybe they sensed I was uh, sensitive and were trying to uh, talk to me or something that that's something that has happened um, now with consciousness about it since, Um, But at the time I had no idea. So this was very intense and that really stuck with me um, until, you know, about two years later when I had my spiritual awakening, when I thought, Oh, that's, that's what was going on. Okay.
0: Yes. I was going to suggest the same thing, which was often when a, a person who has spiritual sensitivities gets near to such a place, the spirit's, that are left there can definitely rush that person because they get excited. They're like, okay, we think you can hear us. We think you might be able to help us, this type of thing. And uh, yeah, it can be very, very overwhelming. I know many students of mine who have trouble visiting battlefields in the States, like any kind of any kind of place where there's been a lot of collective trauma that has been left in the land, you know, there's leftover spirits, there are, there's leftover energies, there's the pain, there's the emotions that went on there. It, it creates a very, a lot of change in the landscape that's going to take a long time to clear. And so, yes, I can imagine how, especially because that's so recent, really. I mean, that was probably only like 20 years old when you experienced that. So yeah, there's a lot of energies there. Um, Wow. And so you've had experiences with similar things, actually, in terms of house clearings, in terms of places that might not have the best energy going on. Uh, What can you tell us about your house clearing practice?
1: Right, so part of the work that i do and one of the services i offer is um, house clearings and or in and around berlin but i'm also open to going to other places but typically people call me when they are experiencing um, different entities in their homes that they are not comfortable with you know whether they're being terrorized as was one particular case this year earlier this year um, or they're just uncomfortable they things are moving or lights are turning on and off, you know, the kind of <laughs> more common things that happen in this realm. Um, but yeah, this is something that I do now is I help, um, you know, people get rid of or, you know, I escort. I help these spirits move on and leave these poor traumatized families alone. Um, but yeah, earlier, I can tell a story from earlier this year where- um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, there was a family that lives um, a little bit outside of Berlin um, in what was East Germany. And they, the mother of the family called me in, in distress um, one morning because the night before she told me that her child, her three-year-old daughter had been possessed by something in that the child was speaking in tongues in the middle of the night and you know, was not herself. And she didn't know what to do anymore, and that they'd been dealing with some entity there for months. They had no idea how to get rid of it. And as it turns out, the space they were in, um, according to the downstairs neighbor, the people who live in this flat, you know, never last more than a year or two in that space because of this um, entity, let's call it that. And so I went and I first did like a lengthy interview with her to make sure that there wasn't something else going on, whether it was psychological or there was maybe family strife or issues between her and her husband. I don't know. It's really important to do due diligence before just, you know, stomping into someone's house and saying, I'm going to get rid of, you know, your, you know, low vibrational entity or whatever is haunting you. So I did like a lengthy interview, making sure that, you know, she checked all the boxes, you know, um, and that everything was okay. Otherwise within the family and went to work basically. But this, um, this spirit was, was not happy. (laughs) It was not happy. I was there. (laughs) It was not happy that I was trying to help it, you know, move on. It seemed very, um. Very fixated on staying there, and was also upset at the the family that was living there. And the daughter, actually, the three- year- old, could see the spirit repeatedly. And she was always saying, "You know, mama, there's this man over there in the kitchen. Like, do you see him?" and and there was um there was actually one slot where the where this um, spirit, like, I guess you could say, I won't say like lived, but kind of centralized its energy sort of in the darkest center point of the hall, And there was this one spot, and this is the spot in the kitchen that, you know, if you stood there, you could feel the kind of the life draining out of you a little bit. It was intense. And so I went with my proper protection, like in the way I was taught how to do this is you wear like an obsidian stone on your belly button and you put like uh, knives, you know, in your belt behind your back. And this is to help keep, you know, this weak point, energetic point um, safe. And it was so interesting because every time I would cross the house in this, um, center point, this dark point, um, to, when I was doing the ritual, this, uh, spirit would knock one of the knives out of my belt. And this happened every single time I had to cross the house, you know, when I was, when I was doing the ritual and honestly, it got pretty annoying, <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I could tell it was just not, not a happy one. Um but we we did get rid of it in the end. They were a lot calmer. The house was clearer. The family unfortunately, was still very traumatized by the whole, you know month long saga with this spirit. And they did end up moving, but the house was cleared after that, and they they were at least able to stay a little bit longer while they found somewhere else. But, yeah, that was that was probably the most intense one that I've had um, so far. Just look at my lifes nice bit.
0: Wow. So there was a possession event with the three- year old. Mm-hmm. and then there was obviously knocking knives out of your out of your back uh, belt there. What other types of material manifestations were happening in that house?
1: Oh, yeah. So before I arrived, I asked the family to put um, saltwater bowls in every single room of the house just to start clearing a little bit I mean it's not going to do a whole lot but it's going to help you know and to keep an eye on them and one of the things that happened was in that spot again in the center of the house that was like very dark though and in the in the little girl's room the water turned brown in each of those spaces and I've never I'd never seen that happen before like usually the salt water either dries up if you leave it in the bowl like it dries up or it gets dusty like whatever but in this case the water turned like murky brown and she sent me photos of this and i was like oh gosh okay yeah we're, we're dealing with with a spirit here like this is not okay so there was the the water turning brown and then there was also these clocks that she had like in the it was just like a digital clock and like also like an electric candle and um she had the the mother of the house had just put in fresh batteries into each of these and they drained within a day and that to me is like a very clear sign that this thing is taking energy from that um,
0: yeah well you also mentioned that spot in the house that felt like you were being drained and and so as soon as you said that i'm thinking this thing is draining a lot of energy from yeah. the place and from the people there right
1: mm-hmm. It's true, and just also the family was drained. You know, the 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 mother, the father, they were both extremely drained, and not just because of work stress. Like they felt like, you know, they just couldn't even be calm in their own house. Like it was just a constant struggle. And like, you know, we I also you know taught them how to do basic energetic protection things that they could do. But you don't want to be necessarily protecting yourself all the time if you're home. Like this is your sacred space. This is your place of rest. Right And so they were tired. Everyone was tired,
0: and was anyone other than the three year old seeing or experiencing anything?
1: All three of them were actually wow, so um, the mother she didn't see the man, but she could feel him then then they could all feel or they could sorry, they could all hear the footsteps like on the stairs just above the the space like the space that I'm describing like at that dark point of the house there was a staircase going up to this kind of office attic room and I think the spirit would kind of uh, oscillate between that center point go up and down the stairs and then hang out in the little girl's room that was just next door and they could all hear the footsteps at night and I think that was also one of the trigger points for them to call me because they said they just couldn't deal with it anymore.
0: So how long and intensive was the cleansing process that you had to go through? Was it uh, like over in an afternoon or did it take longer? It was, it, it, it took about four or five hours, actually. It was very
1: long. You know, usually these things might take me more like I don't know, two, maybe three hours, but this was this was much longer. Also, I mean, I had to drive out pretty far from where I live in the center of the city. but even so, because um, it it just required a lot of effort and um, had to do a lot like the ritual more than once because I felt like it wasn't enough. And eventually we got we got the job done, but this one was definitely one of the heavier ones.
0: And what was the cue? What was the the signal that you had that it wasn't enough after doing the ritual once or twice, and that you had to do more? And then what was the signal that it was done for you?
1: So when it wasn't done, it was for me. It was quite intuitive, but it was the way that so I make a like the like a really strong um, white fire. And the way the fire danced, and the way that the fire was like still spinning, or like you know, and because I, you, I can't do it all at once because we're in a small enclosed space, and I don't want to burn the place down. But the way the fire was dancing told me that there was still more. It was way too intense still, and even when the first flames had gone down, I knew I have to do this again because it was just, it just, I knew it wasn't enough. I don't know how to describe it, but it was really in the way that 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 the fire was you know, manifesting. And I thought, mm, no, we're not, we're not fully there yet.
0: Interesting. What are you burning to get that, that white fire?
1: Um, really high concentrated, like uh, alcohol actually. Okay. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I do a little bit at a time and typically if the space isn't like too bad, or if the spirit is not like as angry as this one was, um, usually one round is enough you know, but this one, this one took three, like intense ones. Um, It was, yeah,
0: it was a lot. Wow. And so obviously, this was an intense experience and a very angry spirit, it would seem, or at least a very powerful one, uh, one that was usually that was tapped into a lot of energy. What is a usual house cleansing like for you?
1: Um, I I guess it really depends. Like usually, you know, actually, usually people call me like when they first move into a new place and they just want to get rid of the old energies of whoever was living there before, which is like a completely wonderful and legitimate thing to do. Not necessarily because they believe a spirit is there. Um, so that's pretty much most of the house calls I get is to do this type of work, to just kind of cleanse a space before someone moves in or shortly after someone moves in. Um, and that will involve an herbal sleep, much like if I'm doing it on a person, um, there'll be some smudging involved or I'll be working with myself, my salmador. I don't know what the name of this is in English, um, but like a brazier or something like a little fire thing that kind of goes into each, uh, you know, all the corners and stuff. And then I'll do the white fire ritual um, at the end, but it doesn't have to be this super intense one where we no're opening this portal necessarily. It's just more getting rid of <laughs> anything that's lingering there. Um, so that's more usual what I more usually what I do. Um, in the other spirit work I've done, it's been all of this, but the the big fire is usually just once, and that typically takes care of it. Um, but yeah in this case, it was heavy, extremely heavy.
0: Oh. Uh, well, if anyone in Berlin needs a house cleansing, they, they know where to go. Yes. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, you recently had a very intense dream that involves some interesting astral traveling, perhaps.
1: That's right. That's right. So something that's been happening to me a lot more recently is exactly this, this kind of astral travel or dreaming. Or what seems to be a dream, but I'm I'm actually kind of with someone that I'm connected to and seeing what they're seeing. So this was in June, actually. I thought I was dreaming. It turns out I wasn't, but I was seeing my childhood home. And my childhood home is in um, San Rafael, California. So quite far from Berlin. And I remember like, as if I was driving in and I, you know, I tur- I made the right turn and then I look and I see my old house and I see the tree outside. And and then I remember um, like parking or getting out of the car and then looking at all of the old houses, all my old neighbors' houses and thinking, huh, like they changed the color. How interesting. And like, everything looks like a little more luxurious these days. Like, hmm. and I remember seeing like the trees, uh, sorry, the plants I had planted as a kid and and just thinking, wow, like I'm home, like this childhood home, fascinating. And I got quite nostalgic in the dream and a little sad because I was like, well, oh, I'm not there anymore. Um, and it's worth noting that um, my family lost the house in the financial crisis back then in 2008. And so it was all quite dramatic. Um, and I became homeless after that for a bit. So it was all very intense time. And so I hadn't gone back since. And so I'm looking at the childhood home and be, oh, so nice. Um, and then I wake up and, you know, didn't think too much of the dream. And then I went and looked at my phone and my dad had just texted me photos of my childhood home and saying, look where I am. I've just been visiting, um, you know, our old place. Look at how different it looks, but it's still kind of all the same. And, and, and I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, what just happened? <laughs> And I called him, he was asleep. So we had to wait like a few hours, like the time difference. And I told him what had happened. And he was like, that's so cool. Like, yeah, I was there. I was there and I think you were there with me. And I was like, "I'm, I'm absolutely certain I was.
0: So what do you feel happened there? Like what's your explanation at this point of, of what was happening there?
1: I think it was a form of astral travel. I really do. And I think, it's like it's not that I was possessing my dad or anything, but it it really kind of felt like maybe I was behind him, like as if I was sitting on his shoulder or something and just kind of there um with him in this experience and came back to Berlin, like you know, when I woke up. This is this is the only explanation I really have. Um open to other ones though.
0: Yeah, the only I was thinking that too. The only other explanation I was thinking was kind of that you were tapping into his consciousness a little bit. So kind of a mix of both, right? So, wow, yeah, that is a lovely that. experience, though. And uh, yeah, it's always a a nice thing to to see the childhood home in that it was
1: way. Super nice. It was very healing in a way because I've, I've really not come back in years to go look at it.
0: Wow. Uh-huh. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's amazing how our dreams can sometimes have a very healing effect on us okay. and experiences like that. Wow. Well, Mariana, we're coming up on time here. Um, is there any words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the listenership with?
1: Oh, gosh. I... I guess I would say kind of in the vein of, of what this whole um, episode is about, it's like trust your intuition about these things and that if you're having these experiences, like trust that they're real, you know? Um, and trust that, that what you're experiencing is real. And um, also don't be afraid to ask for help, you know? And, and if you're having spiritual experiences or spiritual awakening or um, experiences with uh, spirits or something like this, this is normal. You know, this is true and, you know, trust that, you know, trust what you feel.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mariana, thank you so much for joining us. And where can people find you online? Where can they find your services? Where can they sign up for stuff? What are your various social medias as well?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on my website most easily at www.mariana-luna.com. Uh, my name is spelled M-A-R-I-A-N-A Luna, L-U-N-A dot com. And from there, you can get an overview of all of my services. Um, so I work in person in Berlin, and I also offer um, most of my sessions online as well. And yeah, that's the best place to find me. Otherwise, Instagram, also Mariana dot Luna, and then three underscores after that.
0: Wonderful. Mariana, thank you so much for joining us here today. I think the listenership is going to be very intrigued by your stories and by your encounters and your and your practice as well. So thank you so much for sharing everything.
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. This has been so much fun.